in the box in the 2012, I have a, my signature in that box and the sign in Chinese. <laughs> And welcome to the Asian American Forward podcast. This week, I'm really excited because we have a book review, which is kind of my territory. Um, but I'm also really thrilled to um, talk with Don about some of the historical context. We are traveling today to the Old West to discuss uh, C. Pam Zhang's book, How Much of These Hills is Gold? Um, so I'm really excited to talk about um, some of the history and also just this novel in particular. Uh, so as usual, joining me is my co-host, Don Sun. Hi, Don. How are you this week? Hi, Katie. Hi, everyone. Listener, I love you. And so, yeah, the book we're discussing today, as I said, uh, is written, it's a debut novel written by a woman named C. Pam Zhang. Um, and the title, again, is How Much of These Hills is Gold? Um, it's set in what I can only describe as a mythical version of the American West. So during the gold rush kind of time period. Um, and it follows the story of two Chinese American children, Sam and Lucy, um, and particularly Lucy's journey in search of her place in the world, um, in search of home. And so that's one of the themes that we will talk about as we get into the discussion of the book. Um, but before we get into the actual content, I thought it would be really good to give some historical context. Um, it, the book was inspired by a lot of classic Western literature. Zhang talks about reading, growing up reading Little House on the Prairie and things like that. Um, so it's set in the 1860s and 1870s. So Don, I was hoping that you could give me and our listeners some context for that time period. Um, what was the West like? <laughs> for Chinese people at that time. And that time, it's, uh, uh, most uh, Chinese uh, coming to this country, it's a single man. They don't, they don't have a wife, they don't have a children, just uh, coming here at the labor to build a railroad, especially from uh, um, Colorado and all the way to the San Francisco, especially Sacramento and uh, San Francisco. Those kind of uh, uh, Chinese coming here, they work very, very hard. And also they take a lowest uh, salary, almost zero. As long as they have a food, they have a shelter, they are very happy. So that's caused some uh, white Caucasian laborers, the, the angers. So that's a, the, the, they take their jobs and also they work very hard and build the rail, railway very, very quick. So that's the, give the, the cause some tense between the, the Sugland uh, white Caucasian labor and the Chinese. So, you know, the Chinese, they don't speak English at that time, they only work. So it's uh, in the political arena, they don't have uh, any voice, nobody represent them. So it's uh, gradually build some hate toward the Chinese railway, uh, railway workers. And then people start looking for their the sanitary habit, and they sometimes they spat, sometimes they, they the uh, whatever they have uh, the the uh, the long hair, the the pony hair, and then it's uh, uh, cause a lot of fight, especially go to the violence, and even go to the violence. The local community and the local uh, official, they all stand with a white Caucasian guy, and. Uh, 
kill some Chinese workers. And uh, that time is uh, gradually that they, they passed the law. The law is, uh, we, we, today we know it's the Chinese exclusion law. That's one is just uh, when Chinese workers finish the Continental Railway Road. And then the, the, the Chinese exclusion law uh, forbidden any Chinese to marry in this country. So if they don't marry, they don't have uh, children. If they don't have children, they have uh, no future in this country. So that's kind of things that are, and they are returned in Chinatown. It's now it's we think of Chinatown is just kind of a cultural stuff, right? But that time is uh, Chinatown is uh, they just uh, contained all Chinese workers there in particular area. They cannot go out. So that's the original Chinatown coming from. And uh, when Chinese, uh, when the railroad uh, merged from west to the east, uh, that's in the, I think it's uh, uh, which state? Uh, Utah, Utah, Utah. Utah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Utah did uh, cross the, the ceremony when the, the east meet west of the railroad. That's all Chinese did it. But the ceremony, it's a, they took the picture and there's no even single Chinese in the picture. So they put all the Caucasian behind the, the uh, train and the celebrate, but there's no Chinese, but the, actually the, the whole work done by Chinese uh, workers. That's I'm kind so of a, glad that you yeah. brought up that picture because that um, the author Zhang actually cites that image from the completion of the Transcontinental yeah. Railroad um, as one of her inspirations for writing this story. Um, and the railroad plays a big part um, in the middle of the book, which I hope we're going to talk about today. Um, I also wanted to jump in and ask you a question a little bit more about the Chinese Exclusion Act because I know that you've done a lot of work um, on that. So uh, that like kind of this goes beyond the scope of the book, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, how the like Chinese Exclusion Act and, and policy towards immigrants from China has kind of like evolved even into now. Yeah, that's kind of things that I started involved in the late 80s or late 90s. So it's a, the, there's a couple of uh, Chinese uh, elected official, like assembly member in California. They start to dig in some history, especially uh, when most immigrants from Taiwan, Hong Kong, and also it's, uh, uh, from mainland China, they start to voice their concern about the uh, Chinese in this country, the history. So uh, assembly member uh, Paul Fang has been the first one to bring this law into people's attention. See the uh, Chinese exclusion law in 1882 is the only US law has been targeted on particular race to see all Chinese not allowed in this country and build some uh, discrimination against the one particular ethnic group. And this is uh, not right for America. So it's the first in California, uh, we passed the apology to Chinese American in this country. That's the first one. And then Congress member Judy Chu and the Congress member, then Congress member Mike, uh, Mike Honda, they both uh, um, in California, they realized that if we want to uh, correct the historical wrong or mistake, 
something we have to apologize to Asian American, to Chinese American. So in the, probably the, in 2020, 20, I think it's a 2016 or 2014, they start to move the, the apology in Congress and uh, Judy Chu become the co-author with uh, Mike Honda. I was a chair at that time in the West Coast to move this uh, movement. So it's, uh, I probably have like a 50 organization to sign the letter and also support Judy Chu. We make uh, we made uh, like a three to five fundraising to support this uh, bill. Fortunately, the Obama, the first, uh, the second inauguration, I think that's uh, 2012, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, 2012. I mean, I guess it would have technically been 2013, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2013. Yeah, that time is, uh, um, I was invited by the Trudy Chu by as a uh, electoral, electoral colleague. You know, that's the only 500 some people in this country. And the Judy Chu say, Don, you have done tremendous work to pass this bill. Because on the, um, I, I remember on the 2012, it's the June, I think June 18, that's the congressional have a, the floor debate about whether it's a Congress should apologize to Chinese American in this country. And I'm the only person flew from California to Capitol Hill, sitting on the floor with Judy Chu and passed the bill. That's kind of things uh, gave me some uh, honor is uh, uh, just tell the all Asian, all Chinese uh, American in this country, if we want to get involved politics, we, we never should uh, forget our history, especially in this country, we need to get involved in the politics. That's one gave me pleasure is I, I spent the whole day in the Sacramento Capitol Hill of California to fill out the, all the card and the signature. You know, in this country, probably the, I'm the only one to sign the uh, electoral colleague signature. I vote for Obama. So I use my Chinese uh, character to sign the, every single letter. Probably the, we have to sign like a, more than 10 pieces of paper. And then this one become a uh, certified vote and mm -hmm. sent to the Congress. It, the, you, you remember the, 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 on the January 6th. Yeah, no, certification. Box, right? I had no idea yeah. that you had done that. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, that's the, I, in the box in the 2012, I have a, my signature in that box and the sign in Chinese. <laughs> it's very What's funny. What's your Chinese name? I actually don't know. Oh, uh, my Chinese name is uh, Sun Xiaoguang. Xiaoguang means the dawn in the, the morning sunshine. So it's a uh, sun is my last name. So it's uh, my uh, first name is uh, Morning Song. And uh, you know, it's uh, my English name is uh, Dong Song. But uh, my colleague uh, is an uh, Italian American say, Dong, and uh, how we can give you an English name? Because uh, Xiaoguang is very, very hard to pronounce. And uh, he asked, what that mean? I mean, uh, I told him it mean morning sunshine. He said, oh, that's a Dong, D-A-W. And right, mm -hmm. that's a girl's name. So he said, okay, let's change the tone a little bit, make it uh, dumb. <laughs> so that's the, where the, my name coming from. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love to hear everybody's stories about like how they chose their English name and like Chinese names also are so like interesting because they all have um, 
like really specific meanings. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was a worthwhile tangent for us to go on. Um, but to kind of bring it back to the novel, um, the historical context, I think, is really significant for this book um, because the Western has been so traditionally like white dominated in American literature and film and TV. Um, we see it populated with white cowboys and savage native tribes. Um, and so kind of part of what Zhang talks about as being the project of this novel um, is to assert that Asian faces and Native American faces and other other kinds of people were in the West all along and really belong there. Um, so she sheds light on what life might have been like in the sort of Western fantasy that we imagine in American pop culture could have been like for these characters. Um, so I wanted to get your impression as uh, an Asian American about how you how you relate to the Western as a genre and then maybe how you've seen or not seen your community represented in American culture. Yeah, I think it's uh, the Western culture, especially in uh, California. I think it's uh, Asian here. It's not like the we see the, the cowboy movie that's called the Western cultural stuff. <laughs> that's the, it's a different. That's probably in the middle, middle West, right? So it's not typically it's, uh, in California. In California, it's uh, most uh, Asian or, or the, the, my friend, they are the next couple of generation, the mostly is uh, all in the in Chinatown, in San Francisco, a little bit in Sacramento. Hong Kong, that's probably around the 1970, and because the Chinese the communists just start take over Hong Kong. And then from Taiwan, that's the uh, kind of uh, in early 80s. And then the third wave from mainland China, is like a people like us, it's all coming to this country around the late 80s. They all will educated coming to the graduate school. People don't pay too much to the Western culture, but they try to do some research, especially on the textbook. And a lot of people, they try to put the real railroad, the, the, the Chinese history into the California his, uh, textbook. That's kind of things. This generation, we try to link the, their roots and with the next generation, because uh, people uh, like my kids' generation, always uh, at your age, they know nothing about uh, the uh, Chinese culture and both in this country and back to their parents, the hometown, mainland China, they know nothing about it. So it's my uh, passion to bring this kind of a history into the textbook and to the Capitol Hill, to the politics, into the bill. It's just to try to make a, new immigrant and uh, assembling to this uh, country's culture, know each country to immigrate to this, this uh, country, they have all their heritage and the cultural stuff and harmonize uh, all community together. That's the, uh, what I involved. Yeah, I love that you brought up, obviously the importance of immigration is um, huge for the Chinese community and really any person in the U.S. as we've talked about um, in our City of Dreams episode. Um, yeah. We were all, the vast majority of Americans anyway, were at one time immigrants. Um, so I love that that's also a focus of Zhang's book. Um, she talks about, I, this is a great quote that I pulled from her profile in the New York Times that I wanted to read. Um, Thinking about the literature of the West, 
Zhang says that she's long been drawn to it it because it shows the way that ordinary people can live epic lives against this epic backdrop. Um, She said she feels similarly about immigrant stories. This is a direct quote from Zhang, how they've crossed entirely new lands and traded one life for another. Those stories are epic in nature and they deserve to be told in that way. Um, So I definitely think that sort of epicness um, of the immigrant story and kind of honoring it as that by tying it into the Western is something that this novel um, does really well. Um, So I wanted to get into talking a little bit about the book um, here. The novel is told in four parts, kind of taking place each in a different period of time as you learn the story of Lucy and Sam um, and their family. So um, Sam, who we can discuss later, kind of presents as a male for a significant portion of the novel. Um, And Lucy, it kind of opens as they try to bury their ba, their father, who is a prospector. Um, And as you go back in time, you kind of learn the family history of Ba and Ma and Lucy and Sam and their kind of life moving around Northern California. Um, Their dad is a prospector. um, So they've kind of worked in mines and lived in all these different towns. Um, And you learn about the ways that they've experienced racism and also how they've kind of just chosen to survive in this world. both as people who are viewed as foreigners, even though as we find out later, um, Ba was born in the US as are his two daughters, Lucy and Sam. They don't know any other home, um, even though they're constantly being perceived as outsiders. Um, And so lots of the coverage of this book, I've read um, interviews with Zhang and, and reviews and whatnot, comment on the role that gender plays in the story as we kind of see Lucy and Sam uh, both being born um, female, but kind of reacting to that reality and uh, interacting with their gender in very different ways as they um, have to navigate what would have been a really difficult time to be a woman um, in in the 1860s and 70s. Um, But I actually think that the the most interesting part was the middle of the book. Um, So when it begins, Lucy and Sam are trying to bury their father. Then they kind of, then we kind of get some backstory about their family and and find out um, how their mother died um, and like kind of how their family got to the place where they were sort of on the run. Um, And then we get some backstory. And this was the part of the novel that I enjoyed the most, the third part. Um, where we finally hear Ba tell his story in his own words. And that's also where the railroad um, comes to play a really big part um, in the story. And I thought that this kind of reflection on the immigrant experience here and then in the last part, which wraps up Lucy and Sam's story, um, was really interesting. So as I said, Ba is, we find out, was born in the U.S. Um, He was found by a prospector by his dead parents, like as a small child, and he has never known any other world. Um, He doesn't even speak any Chinese. He only speaks English. Um, And he kind of spends his youth going around the West as a prospector, Um, eventually gets picked up by the railroad um, to teach English to the Chinese railroad workers. Um, And that is how he meets Ma, the, the mother in the story. Um, and their experience working on the railroad is kind of this terrible tragedy that like forms yeah. the core of the book. I still can't decide if I want to spoil it. Should I spoil <laughs> it? 
No, just let people no. read it. Okay, I won't. <laughs> so you'll have to read to find yeah. out what happens to them. Um, but their bond is kind of based on the assumption that Ba is Chinese and wants to return um, eventually to the mainland, or at least Ma really does want to, uh, but he's only ever known the West. And so they're kind of representative of these two um, pulls within Lucy and Sam uh, uh, on the book jacket. And this is a quote of Lucy's that she talks about what makes a home a home. And throughout the novel, we kind of have these characters traveling through this very desolate landscape, meeting all of these sort of dangerous other characters and having to navigate hairy situations um, and always looking for that place um, of home. I won't spoil how um, the novel ends and how they come to answer that question of what makes a home a home. Um, but I wanted to talk about this concept. Um, I think the concept of home with, with immigrant stories is so important. And as an immigrant yourself, Don, I wanted to ask how you connected all to that question. Um, as an immigrant, how do you think of home or what makes a home a home to you? How would you answer that question? It's a very, very challenging question. So it's a, for the the first generation immigrant that we come into this country and uh, we love this country. We take uh, everything is uh, just, uh, it's very, very satisfied. But uh, this is satisfaction that never coming to the uh, conclusion. We take it as a home until very, very late. And I think it's uh, even myself until today, I still Thing is that I have a two home. One is back in mainland China. Even I don't have any property, something there. But I still think that's a part of my home. And also now it's here in the Silicon Valley. I think this is my home. I've been here like more than 20, almost 30 years. I have built my friendship network community here. I take it as a home. So it's a, so it's the, this is a double Identity or the double home concept is always trouble me. I don't know. It's the your people is always think this is the only home you have. But for us, especially first generation, we always try to work hard and make our children think this is our home. But at the meantime, we always try to teach them some Chinese, some Chinese culture. See. You have a, your roots there over over the Pacific Ocean somewhere. You have some relatives, so every year um, now every year now it's the COVID we couldn't, but the most in my children's younger age, every summertime I try to bring them back to there. They do enjoy travel in China, so they say, "Oh, this is your home. It's my home, right?" So they they came in and they're coming back. So gradually, it's a, I think it's a even for our children, they have some kind of a remote home concept in mainland China and the home here that they are growing up here. It's a pretty challenging for, for people. It's a way to find the one home, but the, the overall for all the immigrants, the first generation and the second generation, they have a two different homes. So it's a children like my sons, they think they are the owner of this country or the, the, they can do whatever they want and they can be the leaders, be professionals. But uh, for us, 
honestly, it's a very, very hard to think this is our own home. It's, it's very challenging. If people tell, tell you, age like me, they said, oh, American is my only home. Not really true. Even we swear to the when we become a citizen, we, we always have a true home in our, deep in our heart. What do you think are those factors that kind of made the U.S. feel like a second home to you? Like how, I'm because I'm sure at first it was like, this is just the place that I live. What do you think, it, what, what were those things that made you um, begin to accept the second home? Uh, you know, it's the, uh, you know, it's a, I'm a kind of a political uh, animal, so it's a most time it's a, when I think, I always thinking from a political system. So it's the, I think it's the, you know, human history of the world and American is uh, the most uh, democratic, democratic, and also it's a freedom for everyone and uh, try to be the equal to everyone. This one is the way think if this not our home, nowhere can be our home. So that's the kind of a political concept of I take this country as my home. It's the political system, it's the constitution that's build the relationship among all of us. And regardless of what kind of a race you are, but uh, this one and uh, maybe uh, too optimistic, but uh, this is uh, the place that I really love to take it at uh, my, my home. I try to assemble myself and try to contribute to the community to serve people, help others. But uh, it's, uh, the fundamentally, there's uh, still some uh, <laughs> deep roots overseas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that dovetails really nicely um, with the novel's kind of investigation um, of of what is a home and what what makes someone uh, at home in a place. Um, so I would definitely recommend it. Um, and there we have barely scratched the surface of the interesting things happening. Yeah. Um, like I said, um, and this is something that Zhang has talked about in a lot of her interviews, the first like 10 or 12 pages have no gendered pronouns. Um, so that's like really interesting and, and different. Um, so I would definitely encourage anyone to pick up a copy of this book. Also, the cover art is just gorgeous. Um, so it was got a lot of buzz in 2020. It was like on everyone's books of the year list, Oprah, Obama, you name it. It was pretty yeah. much on the list. And of course, um, uh, was long listed for the Booker Prize, which is a big English literary prize uh, for the for the people who care about that. Me, I am a total nerd, so I do care. Um, but that is a little bit about um, CPAM Zhang's How Much of These Hills is Gold. I definitely recommend it to all of our um listeners. Uh, with that, we will do our final segment before we close up this week. So Don, how have you been staying entertained? Uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to book my flight ticket, fly to New York to have my Chinese New Year there because it, uh, I'm going to help uh, Andrew to run Chinese New Year celebration. And uh, uh, even the cold and the heavy snow, I still want to go there and to have a good Chinese New Year there. <laughs> That's my plan. All will be safe and have fun, double mask, all of that stuff. Um, and I will say my thing that I want to plug this week is Spotify has recently oh. launched audiobooks. 
um, of some like classic uh, I, just things that are in the public do domain so that are available for free. So they've got some Jane Austen and those kinds of things on there. Um, but I have been listening to a short novella called Passing by Nella Larson, um, mm -hmm. which it was written, I think, in the 1920s or 30s. Mm -hmm. um, but it's about two um, Black women, one, and they're fairly fair-skinned, one who decides to pass as white and the other who decides um, to continue living as a Black woman. And um, it is really interesting and shockingly relevant for a book that's almost 100 years old. Um, so, and the audiobook is fantastic and available for free on Spotify um, if you have that. So I would definitely recommend it. We will wrap it up there for this week. Don, thank you for joining me as usual. Thank you, Katie. If I recommend one book for the people, classical book is uh, I like uh, Pearl. The, her book is a uh, Good Earth. That's written uh, the, the during the 1930s, and uh, she got the Nobel Prize. But that writes uh, Chinese uh, rural cultural life. That's the movie so much. That's why it's the the opposite of this book that, that we're talking about. But that's mm. the describe uh, China. Uh, rural country that's the soul moving i have a burst into the tears to read it it's so good yeah. thank I you i should definitely read it i can't believe i've yeah. never read that book before yeah. it's pearl s buck right yeah yeah yes yeah the good earth good earth this is so good yeah, so good yeah. i love that also that you brought it up as like a kind of a corollary to how much of these hills is gold i should definitely look into reading that <laughs> yeah well, thanks for talking with me as usual, Don. My name, of course, is Katie Simpson. Our podcast is sponsored by Asian American Forward. You can visit our website at www.asianamericanforward.com. If you enjoyed the show this week or have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode, send us your comments at info at asianamericanforward.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook and hear more conversations between Don and I at our YouTube channel. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again next week.